Hey, welcome back to Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Lucas Paganini. Hello. We also have Subrat Mishra. Hello. And Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And uh, yeah, we were talking before the show. We decided we we're going to talk about Tailwind, Tailwind CSS. Um, I'm a little curious as we get into this before we dive too deep. Um, what, what, what's your experience been with Tailwind? And then we can talk about what it is and how it fits into everything. Okay. Um, I think that's a great starting point for the audience to know what is our background on it, because the amount of context and usage that we have with Tailwind might dictate if we love or hate it. And mm -hmm. I really want to say that None of us have very extensive, deep knowledge about Tailwind or have used it a lot. Um, I can say only for myself and for my particular case, I haven't really used Tailwind myself. So at Envoid, which is my web development company, we have some projects that we have been using Tailwind. But for these particular projects, I am not directly involved in the execution of them. I am more in a planning, strategic uh, role in them. So even though we are using Tailwind and I have seen some of my employees either liking or hating it, I myself can't give my opinion on how it would be to use it myself because I really haven't done that yet. What I do know about Sailwind from what I read and studied on those on their docs, uh, because I had to do that before telling my employees to use that in projects, was what is the actual problem that it solves? And when does it make sense for you to use Tailwind to solve this problem? So this is how far I went into researching about Tailwind. And that was enough for me to decide to give it a, a try and encourage the usage of that in some of our internal projects. So I think the deepest conclusion that we can help the audience achieve from this episode is not how to use Tailwind in the most advanced way possible. I can't promise you that from the how deep I went into this technology, but what I believe you can extract at the end of this podcast episode is when should you give a chance to Tailwind? What is the conceptual problem that it solves? And is that problem relevant to you? Or is it something that you don't care and you're fine as you are? So from right. at the end of this episode, you can conclude if you want to try it out or not. Yeah. I was just going to chime in. I mean, I've used it on a couple of projects, but I know I haven't used all the features, right? So mm -hmm. I've used a lot of the styling, um, not nearly all of it. So, you know, I'm sure there are bits of it there that I don't know. Um, but I, I do have an opinion on it versus, say, a bootstrap or something like that, because I've used, you know, all of those kinds of different systems or foundation, stuff like that. How about you, Subrat? Yeah, I think uh, same here. Like I have, I also haven't extensively used Tailwind, but I think after Bootstrap, this is the most popular CSS framework uh, 
in the in the internet today everywhere is talking about tailwind if you go to youtube you'll see a lot of tailwind video like tailwind is awesome this uh, some, like it's a lover head relationship some like we have 30 <laughs> 30 40 percent people will hate it uh, like some people will love it and it's like uh, react and angular so some people love angular some people hate angular some people like kind of like okay, okay we'll go with the which is faster which is which we should use so what my take on that just check is it feasible uh, for you or is it uh, maybe in terms of uh, teams point of view like does everyone know tailwinds because it's a little learning curve initially but if if no one uh, knows tailwind uh, tailwind and just for the trend is going on you should not uh, like push it to your to your team but if it helps a lot if you have a bigger vision to having a bigger application which will scale and you have lot, lot of reusability then you should go for it i think right. lucas you are telling about the functional way i think you can explain it yeah oh. yeah you did that before we recorded so yeah you want to you want to run that up again cuz i like the way you explained what tailwind is like some of the philosophy behind it sure sure um i'm even going to take one step back because subrat said something right now which i thought was very very interesting very insightful and i think this should be considered even before you decide on whether to use tailwind or not so yeah. subrat said um it's using tailwind or not is kind of like angular or react people have very strong opinions and when you said that subrat you gave me a very interesting insight which was it's actually kind of different because if you think about it angular versus react versus vue versus solid versus svelte versus whatever framework we're always considering a framework right mm-hmm. it's always a framework versus another framework what's interesting about the subject of tailwind or not is that we're saying use a framework and be that framework tailwind or not use any framework at all so there yeah. are actually two decisions the first is should you or should you not use a css framework and then let's say that you decide to use a css framework should you use tailwind or not so i think we can start with the first question which is I, go ahead i don't know if i would even approach it that way right um for me it's more is my css becoming you know confusing or hard to reason about or you know um whatever you know whatever you would typically reach maybe for a framework for but maybe not even that right maybe the the answer is how you organize your css or things like that but but then it's okay why is this painful and then does tailwind make it better or does bootstrap make it better or does this other thing make it better right and so i like to frame it more in terms of the problem i have instead of do i need a framework and then which one it's why is this painful to write and then what can i do to alleviate it and in a lot of cases a framework is the right answer but sometimes it's something else i i think if you want to make it faster then framework is uh, good but if you want to make it efficient and as personalized as possible 
then writing your own mm, thing is always good but yeah it depends i think it, nowadays yeah. the tailoring is also pretty flexible it depends too much because for example do you feel like using angular makes you so rigid that you can't do things that you would be able to do without angular because i don't feel this way i feel like angular is flexible enough that it makes me faster but it also uh, allows me to do anything and i think one problem that we have is that we have a preconception uh preconcept with css frameworks that they are going to make it super rigid and hard for you to create your own styles because that's what we had with Bootstrap Foundation yeah. and Materialize. So it's a different model because when you decided to use such frameworks, you were basically giving up on having your own custom styles or you would already accept the idea that anything other than what comes from the framework would be very hard to do because you would be going outside of the things that the framework uh, was made to to stylize. So yeah, I know about bootstrap like a lot of style things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and with bootstrap though, they expect you to they expect you to create your own classes, right? Yeah. The the difference is is that um, what you wind up doing is you pull in their class and then you pull in your class to supersede it, right? And if you understand how CSS works, then, you know, depending on the order you put things in and things like that, um, you know, you basically set your styles up to override theirs. And so then you can get different colors or different whatever. Um, the other thing is, is they wrote it in uh, less initially, which was written in, uh, which is uh, CSS or JS to CSS. And so you could actually change the colors in the setup, right? And things like that. And so you you did have a lot of flexibility you could take just from the get-go. Um, a lot of that kind of changed as they went from version two to three to four to five. But yeah, I mean, um, you're, you're not necessarily giving away the option of using your own styles. Typically what you're doing is you're building your styles based on theirs. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, Chuck, you said something about focusing on the problem that it solves and then deciding based on that instead of deciding first if you want a CSS framework or not and then which one should you use. So I thought we can translate the same question in a way that is more focused on the solution and the problem that it solves. So if we look at it historically, initially we had strong fr CSS frameworks which were Bootstrap, Foundation, and Materialize, which mm -hmm. even though you could apply your own styles, um, a lot of developers just used styles that they came from base. default yep. teams. Exactly. So that fixed a particular set of problems, which were, I am not very good in CSS, and I want a framework that already gives me things stylized because I don't know how to do that, and, and I don't want to learn that. So uh, it tackled specific developers that had this need because there are a lot of developers that fit this category. There are a lot of front-end developers that uh, they are much more interested in the logical aspects of programming than the actual like styles. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. 
that's okay. There is room for that. There's room for everybody. Uh, so if you are a developer that just wants default styles and you want to go fast, like you don't care how the button looks, you just want a button and you want it to not look awful, then uh, Bootstrap Foundation and Materialize really gave you what you were looking for and they gave you right. in a way that you'd really felt like you were doing your job faster. But then that created other problems, uh, which were that other developers that actually either wanted or needed to make changes to those base styles were having a, a hard time doing that. So either because you have a custom design that you need to, to comply with and you started with the base bootstrap styles and now you're trying to work around that and things are getting messy you're trying to create selectors that have a higher um that have uh, a higher selection power than others so that your styles supersede the default ones that come from bootstrap and then you see a lot of people using bank important and things just become really <laughs> difficult and then right. there comes a new generation of solutions. And then you have Ben CSS, which led this second wave of CSS frameworks. And it's extremely different because if you look at Ben, which is block element modifier, you will see that it's only a way for you to name your classes. So it's only a naming framework. It's not a framework that gives you base styles. It is just a framework that gives you a convention for all the developers to work in the same way and organize their CSS in the same way. So that is not uh, completely different based on which developer is coding. So you get consistency, um, but you're not getting default styles. You're coding everything yourself. So you get this flexibility, um, but you lose the default styles, but you still have a way of having consistency somehow, at least in the way that the code is written. So that was the second wave. And now we are in the third wave of solutions, which is where Tailwind fits. So right. we are talking about frameworks in CSS that they can give you a good balance of both. So you have consistency in how you work so if you're on a team of 10 developers, there's a consistent way of how all of them are working. It's not like John is working in a way and Beatrice is working in a complete different way. And they try when they try to do code review on each other, it's just a lot of opinions going back and forth, but there's but there is no set of standards where they can rely upon. So mm -hmm. Tailwind fixes that because it gives you consistency. It gives you a proper way of applying styles to elements that the entire team can share and use. And it does that in a flexible way. So if you want to do styles that are very different from uh, like a base team, then you can. Uh, so it's really easy for you to create your own custom styles, but you also have consistency. So it's a different solution than the first and second generation of CSS frameworks provided. And I think that the entire community of developers or front-end developers haven't really realized that yet, 
So some of them are not giving Tailwind a chance because they don't understand that it solves things in a different way than the previous generation frameworks did. And also some of them are just afraid of the initial impression that they get from Tailwind because if you use it extensively, you can get very, very long HTML classes. So you can have an, an element, a div, for example, that has 10, 20 classes. And then yeah. you look at this HTML and you think, that can't be a good practice. Like this is the entire opposite of what I've been taught, that I should have a single class and define all the styles on CSS on a CSS file. Like this is the opposite of what I've been taught. So some people are not giving a chance to that either because of preconceptual ideas from previous generation CSS frameworks, and others are not giving a chance because of the syntax that it uses, and it feels counterintuitive to what we've been considering best practices for the last couple of years. Right. It's it's also interesting, and I know that um, Tailwind, Tailwind does sort of the component or the some of the smart elements and things like that, the bootstrap and the rest of them did. But for the most part, my experience with Tailwind and most of the people that I know that use it, they're only using it for those styles, right? They're not using it for yeah. those other pieces. And so when I talk to people who love it, they love it because it is that granular breakdown of this is exactly how I want it to look. And I, I'm just going to dive right in. I mean, um, I kind of came around to the idea of, yeah, I'm going to have a class for, let's say, you know, I'm building, a, I mean, top end devs, I'm building a courses portal, right? Or a meetups portal or things like that, right? And so um, I, you know, coming in, the idea was, yeah, you would assign the class of this is a course widget, right? And then inside it, it was the, you know, you'd have the dot title or maybe it was, dot course title right so you you wouldn't um have that collision between the two classes if you had something else with the title or the page title um and yeah it was it was kind of the way that 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 came through that it was like okay well i've got courses and then i've got meetups and then i've got conferences and i've got conference talks and i've got you know and all of these things mostly look the same right and so then what do i do i do dot card well, the problem is, is the layout isn't the same inside each card. And so I'm looking at it and trying to figure out, okay, what do I do with this thing, right? And so in a lot of the systems that I use now, you know, be it Rails, Rails has a few components gem that allows you to basically do partials or components, right? And then I can apply JavaScript to that as easily as I can apply CSS to it. Um, right. And so I can just go in with Tailwind and tell it exactly what I want it to do. And that's the thing that I really like about it is I, the, the CSS to me is telling it how I want it to look right. Instead of telling it what it is. And so when I go in and I drop in those, those, uh, CSS classes, then I'm basically telling it how I want it to look. This is how I want you to look. This is how I want you to behave, right? Float, flex, whatever, right? Just does the right thing, right? And yeah, I'm not, I'll admit, I'm not completely versed on like Flexbox and crap like that. Um, you know, I, I use it and I look up the stuff when I need it, but yeah, 
you know, for the most part, I don't. But the the thing that I really like is, is at the end of the day, it feels more like I'm coding my UI. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm saying, you know, add the rounded corners, you know, uh, add this margin to the bottom, add this margin to the top. And the other thing I'm going to point out is that I've done enough work in uh, Bootstrap th- uh, 4 and 5 to where they've also started adding some of these kinds of classes, right? So if you want margin bottom t- uh, 20, you don't have to add it as an inline style and you don't have to add it to your class. You can just do MB-20 in Bootstrap. And so some of these ideas, I don't know if Tailwind invented them and then Bootstrap picked some of them up or if they kind of evolved separately. But a lot of those make it really convenient because I don't have to go in and find where I defined the card style and the course style. I can just do the thing. I can just say, hey, this is how I want it to look. And at the end of the day, I get the behavior I want on the screen. So that's the appeal to me. This was a very good segue to talk about the conceptual vision that I have with Tailwind versus other CSS frameworks, which is what we've been talking about before starting to record. Mm -hmm. So you were saying, um, I am used to defining like a card as dot card, and then I have a title. So it's the card title and I have the description, which is the card description. But sometimes I have a trouble. uh, I have a problem, which is what if I have two cards that they look alike, but they have different functionalities. So one of them is like a, a card for events coming up. Another is a card for courses that I'm selling. So then, of course, like you can just create a card instead of event card or course mm-hmm. card. But eventually you're going to get to the same problem that people have with object-oriented programming, which is you're trying to abstract things so much that sometimes you're extending a class that isn't really what you want to extend. So, for example, you're just trying to get methods and properties from the parent class, or in this case, from the parent CSS uh, class definition. And then you extend that class, but sometimes, semantically speaking, it doesn't make sense to say that your class also extends that other class. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. For example, you can't say that a dog is a person, but both of them have a birthday. So... right. Like, is a dog a person because person has a birthday and dog also has? So you want to extend a person to get all the things that a person has? You don't want to do that. So that's the same problem that we have with semantic CSS. Semantic CSS is when you define classes in CSS that define the elements based on the contents, based on what they do in the page, based on the purpose of why they exist. So for example, you have a card that is for events. So you create a class in CSS called event card. So this is Mm -hmm. semantic CSS. And this is what we've been taught to do for the past years. So all the old schoolers listen to this podcast. You might remember CSS Zen Garden, which was a website that showed you the power of what you can accomplish just with CSS. So we had uh, a fixed HTML 
and it had different versions of the website that only had a different CSS file. And then people went crazy about this and they were like, oh, this is so cool. Look what you can have if you just use semantic CSS. If you name the title using a class called title, then you can have different CSS files and each CSS file styles the title in a different way. And that was that promised looked really interesting and we bought that. And because of that, we had a set of best practices for the past years that don't really go with what Tailwind suggests or what uh, those bootstrap utility classes suggest, which is you just have a class that it adds padding or that it adds margin. But then you might look at that and you think, oh, that's, that's wrong. That goes against what I learned. I learned that we need to have separation of concerns. We need an HTML file for the structure, a CSS file for the styles, and a JavaScript file for behavior. So I can't have an HTML that has a class that is too close to what the style that will be applied and not what this element is. So if I have a class and I'm applying a class to my element and this class is like padding 16, then this is wrong because this goes against the best practices that mm -hmm. we had for the past years. And the idea is that this is not wrong, it's just a different mindset. So right and wrong are going to depend on which concepts you're applying to the code that you're using because at the end of the day, the only wrong code is the one that doesn't work, is the one that yeah. is breaking at runtime. So this is the only wrong code. All the other codes, if they are working, they are technically speaking correct. But now, of course, that if you're talking about um, code in terms of the best practices that we had in the past couple of years, then having those utility classes is wrong. But if you just look at that as if it were a paradigm, this could make it easy on you. So what I noticed is that Tailwind is kind of like functional programming for CSS. And that has helped me tremendously to see the value in that and to understand that it introduces a different concept of what is right and wrong because the paradigm is different. So in functional programming, you don't define classes. So in object-oriented programming, you define classes. So you need to have semantic names for the classes that define what they are. And in functional programming, you are defining very, very small things and you define them based on what they do. And you compose mm -hmm. them together to do what you want, which is exactly what we're talking about here. So if you have many utility classes in CSS, this is a functional approach to CSS. Instead of you defining card, you just add to your element all the classes that apply the styles that you want. So your card has a dark background. You're going to apply a class which is yep. dark background. Um, your card has a bold text. You're going to apply a, a class that is font weight bold. And this is a complete different paradigm. It has trade-offs. It's not for free. So you do get more reusable code. You do get many utility classes which you can reuse 
in many places, which makes your end CSS bundle smaller because you're reusing your code in more places. Um, you also get consistency because all your developers, if they studied Tailwind, then they know the different utility classes that exist and they can use it. Uh, you're not losing flexibility because if you want to go directly to the CSS and like create a, a semantic class, you can, and it is going to work. So you can still do that. You don't lose the possibility of doing that. But what you lose is you get an HTML element that perhaps has too many CSS classes. And that might just look ugly to you and you might find it a bit difficult to read what is going on there. But I just feel that saying that out loud seems like a very weak reason to not try it out, right? Like mm -hmm. you're going to have consistency, flexibility, and a bunch of utilities that are going to give you a reduced bundle size. And if your team knows that they exist, they can all use it. And people are going to be able to read each other's um, code easier because it will be more consistent. And the only thing they're going to lose is that you're going to have less styles in CSS files and more styles directly on the HTML by applying classes to HTML elements. So this actually seems like a very good reason to try it out. Like you're only going to lose that. So why do people have a hate and love relationship? Because it goes against what we've been taught for so long. It goes against separation of concerns. So for you to, to say that this is a good idea, that to use that is a good idea, you have to really reflect on something that has been considered a global best practice for the past years. And it's really hard for you to say that because so many people that you admired were saying that that was a good thing. And now you're seeing a technology that goes against that. So it, I understand it is hard. But I think that if you're looking for those benefits that it can give you, then you should try it out. I think it would be useful at yeah, least to try. Yeah, just to add to your point, uh, one of the main reason also Tailwind will, will be good for like suppose you you goes with the normal semantic way you added everything. Now there is a decision to change the design. Then it will be harder for normal CSS way if you goes with a create a class for the whole whole card and create something inside it. But in Tailwind it will be pretty easier to change the design. So uh, somehow like it's if it is in the initial stage and now you are changing the design i think which happens a lot uh, in ui i think in every uh, year or two you will change the design uh, so that user will not feel bored like they're seeing it every day and kind of uh, some, something is not new so in the in those scenario tail will be, will be pretty useful because you are not creating a class by yourself you are just using the normal CSS principle to align your element where, where it should be and just giving some colors and all. So mm -hmm. I think that re reversing the design is one approach. But I would say 
uh that another way where uh, like i have listened in some podcast as well as well as in some di- di- discussion with some friends like uh people are saying that uh i can develop good css myself uh, like like now css has variable css has um, method calls css you can uh, i can have like a theme setup and i just change the theme everything will change according to the variable i set so now css is also lot powerful now as it was before so they are saying that as we can make a powerful kind of framework ourselves if we are using tailwind and we now we now we depend on uh, although you can do both still you can create a, uh, some variable and try to uh, create a theme yourself and act on that but it's saying as if you uh, go deeper onto a organization point of view like suppose uh, if i tell might be previous to previous organization that's which you have, mostly they have a separate uh, ui utility you just the what the developer will do is they just need to import that button and according to the theme it will change the theme so if you try kind of uh, trying to develop a uh, setup or or kind of a, a regulation in your organization that everyone should use this your your bra, your application should look same always then uh, you can use the benefit of a custom css so that it will be as custom as possible and it will be efficient through, for you but uh, that comes under the trade off of now if you have a different mindset of changing your uh, to a changing your css to a different design then you have to go through and rewrite everything again but if you have would have used tailwind it would have been easier to change i think that's the uh, two three reason people are like love tailwind some hate tailwind depends on what's their scenario yeah i just want to pile on that easier to change because i was thinking about the same kinds of things in my own workflow um and effectively what i was looking at was um a lot of times yeah i'm tweaking the design right it's not that i'm you know i'm writing a new i mean sometimes i am sometimes i'm writing a new component right but sometimes i'm tra- i'm trying to just make it look better right it's yeah. you know there's something wrong with it i'm not quite sure and it's a lot easier for me to just go and change the number on the margin style right or you know go change the number on the padding style or go change you know and just kind of tweak it right there in the html then it is for me to go and find where it lives in the css files that i have then you know minified and all the other things we do to it right um you know and then have it rebuild my css file so that it'll reload instead i just i just change that class and you know I can fiddle with it until I get what I want. And so that that's one way that, at least for me, it's easier to change slash debug as much as CSS, you know, stuff like that is debugging. Yeah, that's right. also a good argument in favor of Tailwind. And this is something that the actual creator of Tailwind was saying on Twitter. Uh, he... Actually, like just to correct me, I'm not sure if it was a creator of Tailwind that said it on Twitter, but I did 
saw that on Twitter, and I believe he was the creator that said that. Uh, and he was saying, yeah, um, the advantages of you having an HTML file and a separated CSS file for the styles are that now you have more places to look to find out what you want to change in your code. So obviously this person was being sarcastic and saying that, yeah, if you have separation of concerns, then you also it also means that there are more places to look to find out where you can change your code to make it behave the way that you want. So as you were saying, Chuck, like sometimes I just want to change the padding a little bit. I want to change the margin a little bit. And I don't want to fiddle with where in the CSS tiles is that like the end result is minified. Maybe I'm not just finding out where I need to change to make this look the way that I want. And if you're using something like Tailwind, utility classes, then you can just apply a utility to your HTML directly. Or if you're looking for something to remove, then it's also easier to spot because you can just see the list of classes applied to your HTML element and just remove the ones that you, you don't want to apply anymore. So it is easier for you to find where things are. Yep, I guess uh, Tailwind also do one thing which normal CSS doesn't do. I think it's not CSS if you're using less or SAS, it's uh, do browser independent thing like you know need not need to add WebKit, Mozilla, all those things. But yeah, uh, it's an, also done by SAS and LAS. And, uh, so this also another benefit uh, of using a using a framework. But again, it's like who wants it? They love it. Who don't want it? They, you can't convince uh, uh, everyone. Yeah. One other thing I am going to throw in here is going back to should I use a framework? Because I think it is a valid question to ask. I just I don't want people to instinctively reach for it if if they don't need it. But um, it, one thing that I you know when we talked a little bit about this before is like Bootstrap, for example, gave you kind of a baseline style. Uh, Tailwind does that as well to a certain degree. Um, pick a framework that you like the baseline style of that you're willing to modify from there. Hmm. Like I would like have a uh, suggestion in terms of different kind of users. Maybe in in organization point of view, how the flows went. Like you have a designer first, they will give you the style guide. Uh, then it then to come to a developer, they will they don't have any option to change the design. It should be look it should look how they have the designer has designed and you publish the code the other approach i think it's the most most approach like mostly developer decide the design like chucks is uh, doing the website that he is the designer here he is the developer so in that case you have a option to tweak a lot because you don't follow the step like first you go to the figma design it uh, do the styling, do the uh, like create the CSS and all those things. I think in your case, where you are designing and you have a lot of tendency to modify the thing, then you should go always go with a quicker approach, like using a framework and and use how how fast you can go to the market. But if you're in the other side of the spectrum, like you have a uh, solid instruction to do like this. 
and you have given the CSS code as well, or maybe easier CSS which you can replicate, and you know that it's not going to change in near future, then then it's like having extra framework load uh, to the uh, to your application might not be feasible for you. I'm still divided, like, actually. Like I I completely understand the the advice, and I can see the value in that. I still think it depends so much on too many other factors. For example, mm -hmm. we are talking to people that really like Angular. Otherwise, they probably won't be listening to an op to a, a yeah, podcast called Adventures in Angular. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So if we ask to our audience, you're going to create a simple website. What are you going to use to create this website? I bet that most of them are going to say Angular. And what we're saying here is if you're building something very simple, then perhaps you don't even need a framework. And it is yeah. true. Like you could build a very simple website with no framework. It's just if you're already used to it, then it might be the right choice because of your background. What you have to consider is also the background of all the other team members working with you, of course. So, for example, you're alone in a project. Okay. Uh, oh, I don't have to consider that. It's a project that I'm building alone. Okay. But are, is it going to be just you for a while? Or do you plan on hiring other developers to work with you? in the following months or in one year from now. Because if you are going to look for other developers, then every little thing that you add on top of your tech stack becomes a requirement that you're going to have to look for in this yeah. developer. So either this person will need to already know how to use this technology mm -hmm. or you're going to have things that are required. So like you need to know Angular, um, but we are also using Tailwind and other technologies, which if you don't know, that's okay. I will pay for you to dedicate your time to study that and be able to be on the same level that me and the other team members are so that you can also contribute to this project. So there is a cost to everything that you add, but there is also your speed and maintenance cost over time. What I mean by that is you can build a website without Angular and it would be very much easier for you to find developers that don't know Angular to maintain this website later. But um, what if you build a lot of these projects and then each one of them becomes different from the other? So now... It's easier for you to hire developers because there are not too many technologies involved in that particular project tech stack. But for like every project is completely different. So even though learning one project is easier, when you learn how that project works, you can't really apply a lot of the knowledge that you got from understanding this project to the other projects of the company. And this is what you get when you have those tools that provide consistency. So if you decide to use Tailwind and Angular and like other consistent solutions, then you increase the initial time that it takes for new developers to understand this project and be able to effectively contribute to it. 
but you also gain in the long run in terms of I can move this developer to other projects and the time that it's going to take for this developer to understand those other projects will be way smaller because it looks so much like the other one that he was just working on and, they, and that he's already proficient with because the technologies are the same, the patterns are the same, there is consistency among projects. So you get mm -hmm. that when you choose to use a framework. And I think it should also be very, very heavily considered, especially that, if you have multiple projects. Yeah, those are really good points. We've been kind of talking about the technical um, and, and workflow requirements, but yeah, absolutely. There is, I mean, that's why we hire people to be Angular developers, right? Instead of, you know, hiring people to be a whatever developer, you know, we kind of fall back to people who, to use systems that use similar concepts if we can't find somebody that already knows Angular. Mm -hmm. But, for, you know, where, where we're sitting right now in, you know, if your company uses Angular, yeah, the, the benefit of using the framework and hiring somebody who knows the framework is that they can hit the ground running faster and you have that efficiency across all your apps because they can move from one thing to the other. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really dig that. But yeah, also there is also a cost. Them. Yeah. Yeah. But the cost of relying on another technology that you don't control. I mean, most of the time, we do it all the time. Everything we use is open source or almost everything. Yeah. But yeah, um, the reality is, is that something may change that may cause us to have to adapt to it. Yeah, I think nowadays also, like, uh, things are becoming a becoming lot framework driven. Like I know a lot of people haven't like now now starting their web development career directly with a framework. Mm -hmm. Like uh, because a framework handles a lot of things. You don't worry about reflow. You don't worry about a lot of performance related thing which we need to handle in if you're uh, going with normal JavaScript and HTML. But yeah, so if you just uh, that also a, you also need to see the market what's market wants but uh, suppose uh, suppose you have uh, a job offer with only html and javascript and no developer wants to join you that's also an issue so if uh, uh, like i think uh, lucas you may might know more than uh, us like to hiring someone but i think definitely this might be in your mind that i should design things like at least which should be hot in the market else what will happen people will join you they will learn new things and they will try to find job in that sector and they will go there so it's also it it's always uh, depends kind of scenario what to use and what to not but yeah tailwind i think uh, it's never uh, uh, too late or too bad to use some new technology uh, which helps uh, to de uh, design faster, change faster, and uh, run application li li little efficiently than using other CSS heavy frameworks. All right. Well, um, is there any other aspect of this we want to dive into before we do promos and picks? Oh, so many that we could, but <laughs> I think <laughs> so that. True. Yeah, I think that in terms of keeping this episode focused on our initial promise, which is 
when should you consider Tailwind? When should you give it a chance or not? What are the problems that it it solves? Um, I think that we have done that by now. I think that the audience can think about some of the benefits that we discussed. So consistency in a way of working. So if you're on a team of multiple developers, that becomes much more relevant than working alone. Um, if you are looking for something that is easier to change later, so you don't want something that you create semantic classes and then you feel like you're always getting rid of styles that you created because the entire thing changed and that semantic doesn't apply anymore. It doesn't really make sense. That might be more useful to you because that gives you a lot of small utilities that you can apply. It's easier to change them. There's, it's also going to take you some time to learn. Like It's not going to be something that you're going to be proficient overnight. I think that at the end of the day is like, does Lodash makes me a faster developer? Yes. Only after I memorized the things that I need and I, that I use the most from Lodash. There are many utilities libraries that utility libraries that I use a lot, but I only extract as much value as the amount of things from those libraries that I know of. So Lodash has more things than I am aware. FPTS, which is a library that I use extensively for functional programming in TypeScript, has many things that I don't, uh, that I haven't explored yet. So thus I'm not using them. So the amount of value that you're going to extract from Tailwind or any other utility, it's directly related to how much of it have you explored and you know that exists so you can reuse and you have it in your mind because for you to become faster at that, you need to be able to type it like just from, from the back of your mind. Because if you have mm -hmm. to consult the documentation all the time, then you're probably not going faster. But it's definitely a matter of time. If you do it for long enough, eventually you're going to memorize things and it will be faster. But in the beginning, you might actually feel like it's taking you more effort to try to use it. So these are all things that you need to consider. If you are interested in functional programming, this is a, a framework that brings the functional paradigm to CSS, which might be interesting to you, but it doesn't mean that it is exactly like functional programming in JavaScript, TypeScript, um, Clojure, etc. Like it's functional is the functional paradigm applied to CSS. So it, it is going to be different than the functional paradigm applied to JavaScript and TypeScript. So you might not like the functional paradigm for CSS. Uh, so these are all things that you need to consider. But I think that from what we discussed, it was deep enough for you to understand what we mean by that and decide if that's something that you want to try it out or not. So I wouldn't go deeper into anything else because otherwise I think we would go too much off topic. All right. Well, um, let's go ahead and do some picks or let's do the promos first. Uh, Subra, what are you working on that people should know about? Yeah, I'm currently working on uh, like 
making videos on standalone components that that series is going on and i think the last last uh, episode i have told about uh, one video and this episode i've released on how router works and how you can deal lazy load your standalone component i i like i likes the way like how angular is going functional like in the video i have shown like without any module at all you you bootstrap your application provide your routes so you 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 will not have at the red ng module at all and and previously how you load the router now it's pretty easy just an array and that's how the powerful of uh, functional programming and going with standalone components and all so that will be my uh, promotion for this week awesome how about you lucas awesome um i will promote two things so first just like the last episodes i am still promoting my web animations course uh, I imagine that most of the audience listens to this and they're like, I am an advanced Angular developer. You're going to talk to me about web animations? Like, this is so basic, dude. But I think that most developers um, haven't really created a strong foundation on that. So this is why I'm talking about this. Uh, just like we were talking about CSS, and you can do things in CSS even without having a strong foundation of how things work you can also do translation tra uh, you can also do trans um transitions and animations <laughs> I almost lost the word you can also do transitions and animations and not really understand all the features about it and how you can make animations and transitions which are more performant and using all the features that exist in uh the browser in your favor so I am going to promote my course to create the solid foundation for those of you that want that. So you can check it out on lucaspaganini.com slash web animations. At this point, the course is not yet launched, but there is an open waiting list. And if you join the waiting list, you're going to get a huge discount when the course gets released. So if you're interested in that, lucaspaganini.com slash web animations. The other thing that I wanted to mention briefly is just social media platforms. Is I think people got to use of, of like, oh, just follow me on Twitter and follow me on Instagram, and then you're just going to consume my content. But the thing is, there is a way for you to message people on social media, and I answered all messages. So I have met lots of interesting developers around the world in the last few weeks just because they followed me on Twitter and we just started chatting on DMs or they followed me on Instagram and we started chatting on DMs. So I am going to promote my social media too, not for you to follow me to consume the content that I create and post there, but I'm going to promote them if you really want to know me and have a conversation. So reach out. We can have a chat. I'd love to meet all of you, like the actual humans listening to our voice every week. And yeah, just maybe we can help each other out in the projects that we're working on, career tips, etc. So at Lucas Paganini on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Um, I'm going to throw in, I'm 
just going to promote a new podcast uh, that I am starting. Um, it's going to, I'm starting it this week, actually. I think it'll probably launch early next week as, as we're recording this. So by the time this goes live, you should be able to find it. Um, the show is called Catapult Your Coding Career. And it's, uh, it's the logo ha- or the artwork has a rocket on it. So you should be able to find it. Um, the idea is, is that I have a whole bunch of people essentially asking me questions like, how do I stay current? What should I be learning? Um, how do I go from junior to senior? Um, I feel like I'm stuck in my career. I'm not making enough money. Um, am I good enough to, you know, to move up? How do I get a raise? Uh, yesterday I went to lunch with a bunch of local, uh, developers that I've known for years and years and years and actually worked with a couple of them. And we had a junior developer show up and she was talking about her work situation and some of the things that they had and hadn't done to basically support her in her learning, right? They hired her as a junior knowing she didn't know a whole lot about how to code. And then they effectively demoted her after three months because they hadn't really supported her in her ability to learn how to do what she needed to do. And so you know, you, you kind of look at these situations and I'm just like, people shouldn't be stuck. People should have ideas on, on what their options are and where to go. And so, yeah, my, um, I'm just going to encourage you all to check it out because I'm just going to answer questions there. If you have a question, I'm working on getting a form on the website so that you can actually just, you know, tell me what your situation is and then hopefully I can reply to that. Um, or you can get coaching topendevs.com slash coaching. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's ultimately what I'm after there is just helping people kind of open the gate there and figure stuff out. And then I'm going to be doing a paid video series that goes along with it that, you know, shows you what to put on your resume and shows you how to, how I do some of this research where it's a little bit difficult sometimes to explain it, if that makes sense. So anyway, um, that, that's my self promo. Uh, let's do picks. Uh, Subrat, you got some picks? Yep. I think uh, I was uh, playing with another JavaScript-based uh, backend, which is BunJS, or you can call it Bun. And it's quite faster. Like, uh, if you check, I'm just uh, checking their stats here. So in uh, they're saying it for the server-side rendering for React, Node.js support 21,000 uh, requests per second and Bun supports 71,000 requests. So it's quite faster. And uh, BunX, which is 100 times faster than NPX. So, but it, it's on initial stage. And uh, what I like about Bun and Dino, like difference between Bun and Dino, what Dino tries to do is a separate environment. But what Bun is doing is try to work with node modules. So in future, it might happen like you just grab your project, put in, put in the burn. Instead of node start, you do burn start and it will work. And it will work faster with uh, sockets, uh, with a different rendering on server-side rendering, all those things. So just go ahead and check that. Uh, it's, it's fascinating, like how, how fast it's going on. I think... People are saying it's quite faster like uh, Rust. It's going towards 
javascript is now going towards uh, it in terms of neck on neck to a rust or c++ i'll be more than happy if it is faster than c++ then i don't need to listen from c++ guy that ah we are fast so <laughs> so let uh, go and check bun i love that awesome. uh, i've been looking at bun a while ago but i didn't really gave it a chance honestly as soon as i saw the premise so it's a new javascript runtime i was like why do i need that like we already have node dino is coming i'm fine but now that you said that it's much faster and i was uh, i opened their website to check it out and it seems like they can also run typescript code directly because yeah. they already do the transpilation uh, when you run the script so this sounds mm-hmm. really interesting i really like that is like batteries included it's even talking about the fact that it already comes with a bunch of the browser APIs already implemented. So if you try to run some things that you got used to thinking, oh, I can't use that in Node because this only exists in the browser. Oh, in Bun, that already that's already implemented. So you already have Fetch API and some other interesting things. So that's really cool. Uh, nice that you yeah. brought that up. Bun is like uh, Node.js with lots of Red Bull. Cool. <laughs> yeah. It's funny mm-hmm. I'm just putting in a uh request on um the Discord server that we use to communicate about top end devs and I'm dropping mm-hmm. it into JavaScript Jabber and just asking Michaela to line us up an episode. So, cuz yeah. that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely too many things that we can talk about that would be relevant for all developers yeah. not just Angular developers, so uh, I am down for that. And my pick for today is gonna be Mid Journey AI, which is an artificial intelligence that can generate <laughs> really, really good illustrations. I've been playing with that. Yeah, it's so cool, right? It's so cool. Yeah. Um, oh man, um, I am both happy and also sad that you already knew <laughs> it. For like, I'm happy because. Like, it's cool to know that you're also checking it out and it's really interesting. I'm sad because, dude, I'm trying to find ways to compete with you, Chuck. Like, you're producing way too much content, dude. I'm trying to use (laughs) new tools. Like, I was like, I'm going to use artificial intelligence. I'm going to go faster. And then you're like, okay, we're releasing a new podcast. I'm like, damn, how (laughs) <laughs> Which vitamins is this guy taking? Like your picks need to be your vitamins, dude. So, <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll pick I... my vitamins. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'll tell you what I'm doing to keep my energy up. But yeah, like, or you know that Silicon Valley thing, yeah. like where you used to take a younger blood to. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, I love that episode. <laughs> Awesome. So yeah, I'm just going to pick Mid-Journey AI. And for those of you that haven't played with that yet, first, there are so many nice tools using artificial intelligence. Um, We can also do an episode just about that. I think it would be more interesting to talk about that in an episode with um, like a more broad subject because it goes so much outside of Angular, but we could definitely talk about that. Uh, I was looking at a list 
of all the artificial intelligence tools that you can use and where you can use them. So there are great tools to do copywriting, oh, video yeah. editing, um, voiceovers. There's just so many things. And Midjourney is a great AI to generate beautiful images. So the idea is mm -hmm. you give it a description of the image that you want. So let's say uh, I want Lucas Paganini running at the beach uh, using expensive Nike shoes and a Mexican hat. And then it's going to generate a version of that for you real quick, like much faster than mm -hmm. it would take for a normal designer to create this illustration from scratch. And then it generates four variations. And then from those variations, you can tell it, oh, I like this one, generate more variations based on that one. So it's really, really cool. Uh, I'm on the paid plan because we're using that professionally. We needed the uh, more flexible commercial mm -hmm. license to use in our websites and et cetera. But I highly recommend that it has increased our design productivity dramatically. There's like yeah. Envoy before using AI tools and Envoy after started using those next generation tools. We all feel much faster in all areas. So design, development, content creation, everything is getting better. So just Check out those tools. Don't fear them. Like, you should not fear them. You should learn how to use them so that you use them in your advantage. Yeah. Yeah, one thing I'll add is you can also add filters for, you know, photorealistic or, you know, with people or without people, right? Because some, some of them, I you know, I don't, I don't want a person in it. Sometimes I want a face. So, you know, and you can tell it 4K or you can tell anyway. It has a bunch of, it's not just the content, but you can tell what you want it to look like. There were some people that, because I'm in a Discord, I don't know if that's how you how you got added to it too, but I make the request in Discord, right? And then it gives me the, the images. Yeah. And some people were saying in the style of, and then they would choose an animation style, like a cartoon or a comic, and they would get back stuff that looked like that comic, which was cool, so... Anyway, I'm, I'm really liking it. I'm probably going to sign up for a professional. The thing that I am using it for, just to kind of piggyback on this a little bit, is um, for any sort of... So I was using stock photos before on the email list mm -hmm. and stuff like that, right? To make it a little more interesting, give you all something to look at before you read stuff. And pictures connect with people in a different way than just words. And so I was putting that into the email list as I was starting to warm it back up. And sometimes I couldn't quite find the right picture. And sometimes I was worried about licensing on the picture. And so mid-journey, I mean, you, you pretty much can use the images. I mean, they are licensed, but you can mostly use them however you want. You know, and so you... Anyway, I, I, I was much more flexible and I was much more likely to get what I wanted if I could figure out the way to phrase it so that the AI engine would generate the right kind of picture. So anyway, um, I'm going to do the, the board game pick first and then I'm going to pick and then my vitamins. <laughs> so um, and, and you asked for it. So it's going to be a lot of picks. I'm just saying. Um, yeah. But the the 
board game pick is actually a card game. It's called Karma, K-A-R-M-A. And it's it's similar to a game that my wife taught me when we got married called Idiot. And effectively what you do is you deal each player nine cards. You place three of them without looking at them face down. And then you put you look at your cards, you put your three highest cards on top of those face up. And then you play a card or if you have a pair, two cards of this, you know, of the same kind. And you have to match or be higher than the card that's face up on the discard pile. If there's no discard pile, you can play as low as you want. Um, and so you would just play and, and then you draw back up to three cards until the draw pile's gone. And then once you're out of cards, then you can play the cards that are on top of the three cards in front of you. And once all three of those are gone, then you can play the cards that are face down. But if you play a face down card and it can't beat the top card on the discard pile, you have to pick up the discard pile. And it's the same throughout the game, right? If you can't beat the card, uh, match or beat the card on the discard pile, you have to pick it up. And then if you match in this game, it's all four, three. I think there are three of a kind of each number. If you get three of a kind, you get rid of the discard pile. But what karma adds is they add karma cards and the karma cards are like grab the bottom card, and put it on the top or make another person pick up the discard pile or make the next player play a card that's lower than five or things like that. Right. And so it's just kind of a fun way to shake those up. The karma cards beat whatever's on the pile, no matter what it is. Right. So if somebody plays play a card five or lower. You don't have a card five or lower, but you have a karma card. You can play yours and just preempt it. Right. Another one's play a table card, which are the cards that are in front of you and those three cards face up and the three cards face down underneath it. So you can play one of those without having to get rid of your hand. And so it's fun. It's a fun game. It takes about 20, 25 minutes to play. Um, all of my kids can play it. The seven-year-olds can play it. No problem. Um, Board Game Geek ranks it as a one out of five in weight. So it's a pretty simple game. And we've we really enjoyed playing it. So I'm going to pick that. Um, all right. So vitamins. So here's the deal. Um, there are two parts to this. Okay. There's the mental part and then the, there's the physical part. And I'm, I'm sorry for the long winded explanation, but this is what I'm doing. Okay. So the mental part, there are a couple of things. One is, is that I've got this vision for top end devs. I think we've talked through it a little bit on this show. Sue brought and I, I think went, went through it last month or the month before, but, um, and, and I'm consistently refining it. Right. And so what I want to do is I, what I really want to do is I just want to go stand at my whiteboard and just record like a 20 minute video and say, this is what I'm building. Right. So everybody knows. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of folks, they, they kind of like to do the big launch. And I plan on doing some of that for some of these features as well. But for right now, um, I want, I want you all to know what I'm doing and what I'm working on. But as part of that, I do a lot of visualization. Right. And so I, I, I stop, especially if I either get discouraged or at least once a day, I'll just stop for a couple minutes and I'll just visualize, okay, what does this look like, right? Um, what what does it look like to come to work when this is all built? You know, what what do my finances look like? What do what does the community look like? What do the people I'm helping look like? What, you know, what kind of payoff am I getting from that? You know, uh, for a while I visualized having an office, uh, you know, over on the other side of town. I don't know if I want that anymore. So I quit visualizing it, right? You know, just visualized, okay, th you know, this is what it looks like when I get on with the team and this is what the team meetings look like. And this is how they, you know, these are the kinds of things they're reporting happening. We, we help these people with these things and we're making a difference in these companies and right. 
And so I visualize all of that and how it feels, right? It's not just, this is what happened, but it's, it's like, wow, we're making a difference, you know, and, and how does that feel and, you know, and all that stuff. And so, um, I think a lot of people discount the power of that kind of a thing, but the reality is, is just seeing it and feeling it like feeling it in my soul and, and knowing that that's what we're working for. That really gives me a lot of energy to push things forward. Right. And because I want to make the kind of difference with people that a show about, hey, here's how you get the kind of career that'll support the lifestyle you want. Here's how you create the kind of career that is fulfilling, that makes the kind of money you need. You know, all of those things, you know, makes you feel like you're progressing and that you're not stuck. You know, that gives you opportunities to give back to other people. Um, you know, th those kinds of things that, that, you know, I know other people connect with, but I connect with too. Um, that was kind of the next stage. Because if I can get people to have that vision and understand where that will take them, then from there we can kind of go wherever we need to. Um, and so that, that's a big part of it, honestly. And yeah, I'm, I'm still working out kind of the plan on how to get there. And I mostly kind of have the roadmap in my head, but I need to sit down and actually get down to particulars. We're going to do this and this and this and this. So, so that's, that's one thing though, is just visualization. And, um, it's, it's been a really, really powerful driver. The other piece of this that, um, has made a major difference for me is I've, I've been uh, doing a lot of physical training and, um, and so like, I'm not taking anything in particular, right. Um, but, uh, I've basically, I quit eating garbage food. Um, and then I've been drinking a lot of water. Um, I'm actually doing a program called 75 hard and it's, it's really kind of a lifestyle because you do the 75 day challenge and then there's another challenge after that and another one after that and another one after that. And then you're at the end of the year and you just start it over. Um, but the, the thing that really is making the difference for me is just the fact that, yeah, I'm, I'm active, I'm moving, I'm working, um, I'm, I'm eating right. I'm drinking water. Um, I try, I, one of the other things is you have to read 10 minutes out of a book, uh, a business or professional or personal, um, personal growth book, uh, 10 pages every day. Um, and that, that's been inspiring me in a lot of ways. And so what it really boils down to is just kind of getting to that peak efficiency where I can, I can move and think and act and, and really be inspired by what I'm doing and, and be doing the kinds of things that I feel like matter to me and make the kind of difference out there that I want to make. So, yeah, it's, I, I think a lot of people get caught up on, oh, well, you know, if I just lose this weight or if I just, you know, if I could just, you know, take this pill to not be as depressed or, you know, whatever people use if, for their thing. But what I found is that the, the ways that we really move ourselves forward in this is by doing the harder things, right? You know, instead of, you know, taking pills and supplements to lose weight, actually going and working out and eating right. Um, you know, making sure you're getting enough sleep, making sure you're getting enough water, making sure, you know, and yeah, some of that's hard. Some of it takes planning. But what I'm finding is, is that it has a more, it has a deeper and more long lasting effect than trying to do it through shortcuts. And, you know, I'm, I, 
if you if you need one of the shortcuts to get going or you feel like you just need one of those things, I'm not I'm not trying to tear any of that down. But my point is, is that that for me has been the thing that has really kicked things into gear for me. And so it's been the last about two weeks that I've really been going on this stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to start this podcast and I'm going to get the email list going. And I'm going to, you know, the the other thing that I'm working on is I'm building a directory of resources for JavaScript developers. And then I'm going to basically lift and copy and do the same thing for um, our, our next three biggest shows, which are React, Angular, and Ruby. Right. And then, okay, now we're going to do this in the uh, maybe dev tools or uh, DevOps and deployment. Right. You know, which is kind of a, a wider set of things that, that people can use. Right. And so, you know, and I see that making a difference for people. Right. Um, you know, uh, some of the other things I want to dial in the coaching program a little bit better and and know exactly, you know, OK, you're at this stage, you need to be doing these things. Right. And I can usually talk through it with people and get them there. But, you know, to just have that program and have it programmatically set out. Right. And so all of these things kind of come together, you know, the the online conferences. Um, But, you know, the big things right now and, you know, I really am terrible at focusing on more than one thing at a time. Right. Are getting this podcast launched, then getting the email list warmed up and then getting those directories set up. Right. And so they're, they're happening in that order and in that priority. But and that's the other bit, I guess, to it is that just by knowing what the priorities are and being able to say, OK, sit down and know what to focus on. That, that also makes a huge difference. And then the last thing I'm going to pick and I use this off and on, but it's a product by a friend of mine named Manny Vaya. And we actually did a bonus episode in December about this. But uh, we talked about his system for getting focus. But what he did is he distilled it down so that he has a uh a product called Focus Blocks. And I'll put a link in the show notes for that. Um, but Focus Blocks, what it is, is you you sign up and then you basically get a link to the calendar that gives you a link to the Zoom meeting that you get on. And then what it is, is each Zoom meeting is an hour long. And so um, they, they take you through a really short routine at the beginning of the hour. And then you leave your camera on for accountability and you commit to what you're going to do for that hour before before you get started. And then you work continuously for that hour, right? And so they make you uh, put your cell phone down. They make you um, close the door, right? So you're not getting bothered, you know, things like that. And you're expected to sit there and work for an hour. But it's, you know, it's kind of a self-imposed thing. But it, it for me, it's just forced me to get rid of a lot of the distractions that exist out there and allow me to work in a steady fashion in a regular way. So anyway, um, <laughs> I told you, you were getting more than you bargained for, but, but that's what I'm doing. And that's, what's giving me the energy to push through and go, okay, what's next? What's next? How do I make the difference? Right. And yeah, sometimes stuff comes up and it's like, Hey, crap's broken on top end devs. And you're right. So I have to stop and I have to go fix that. Or, you know, I'll have, uh, you know, something I have to address with one of my uh, folks on my team or, you know, my client will need something. But, you know, for, for the most part, um, you know, you roll with that. You realize that's just going to be more important for right now. And then you just get right back on task. So anyway, the, I'm sorry for the big long list of stuff, but that's 
I mean, that's effectively what I'm doing. And it is it is really paying dividends, especially this last week. So. Yeah, it always helps like yeah. being uh, physically active makes you mentally active. Actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess one last thing that I'll add, and this is, you know, it, it's funny because none of these are like cure all, you know, go, go take this magic pill or whatever. But the other thing is, is that um, I can't be happy unless I'm taking care of my family and things like that. And so that's the other thing is, um, I actually plan in every week what I'm going to do with my family as much as I can. So, you know, with my wife in the evening, you know, we'll usually watch a show or hang out, but we do a date night every week. Um, and then I do a date night with each of my kids every week. Um, and so, and what I mean is, is we rotate them through cause I have five kids. But, uh, so the first week of the month, it's usually my seven year old and my 11 year old. And then the next week it's my 13 year old. The next week it's my 15 year old. And the next week it's my 17 year old. Right. And we just, even with kids, you're productive. Like, look at that. Yeah. It's five, <laughs> but it's but, never just but, one, which you did. <laughs> but the thing is, is you just, you just make it a, you make it a priority and you, you set up a program so that you can make it. And it's made a major difference with my relationship with my kids. And so, you know, just, just making sure that you know what the plan is. And yeah, we've had to adapt the, the, the kid date thing. We've had to adapt some of this other stuff, but the reality is, is at the end of the day, it's important. And so I make it a priority. So anyway, uh, that was very long winded. I apologize for being long winded, but I don't apologize if that helps anybody. Um, and yeah, um, if you have any other questions, let me know. Um, I'm very seriously considering actually adding some of this to the top end devs methodology, but the top end devs methodology is kind of based on some of these ideas of the consistent growth and learning and things like that, where, you know, you're, you're learning something new, you're, you're committing code, you're meeting new people, you're, you're doing the things that, yeah, in the short run, they don't seem like they're going to make a whole hill of beans. Oh, I committed a couple lines of code today. But as you move on and you start learning the lessons of, hey, I organized this badly six months ago. And if I'd written the code better, then it'd be less painful now. You know, those are the things that show up in your professional life that really make the difference. Hey, all of a sudden, I wasn't expecting to be looking for a job, but I am looking for a job now. Gee, I wish I had met more people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's those kinds of things that I'm pushing people to do on the programmer career side. And that's what the podcast is all, all going to be about. So anyway, um, I'm going to stop talking cause I actually have another call in like 10 minutes, but, uh, yeah, I hope this helps, uh, go check out the show. Cause I'll talk more about this there and until next time, folks, max out. <laughs>